You are listening to the Addiction Support Podcast, episode number 41. Hi, Oak Creek Wellness family. Welcome to Addiction Support Podcast, where I talk with inspiring people who share their knowledge and experience of addiction and what's working for them. This is addiction support for family and friends from people who've been there. I'm your host, Melissa Sue Tucker. Welcome back to another episode of Addiction Support Podcast. My name is Melissa Sue Tucker, and I'm your host. So if this is your first time joining us, welcome. This week is episode 41. If you're interested in the show notes, they're at addictionsupportpodcast.com forward slash episode 41. And this week, Dr. Dean, Rob, and myself dive very deep into answering the question, what is emotional sobriety? So he dives deep into the concept of if it's hysterical, it's historical, and work on yourself and pray for the other person. The simplest forms, he says that emotional sobriety is ability to have a healthy relationship with your emotions and not being whiplashed by your emotions. But we dive really deep. I share some of my personal vulnerabilities with him and it's a pretty good conversation. So I hope that you are inspired and take yourself on and really ask yourselves, you know, how is this showing up in my life and am I okay with that? And if not, take the opportunity to do some journaling and look at what's going on for you. If you want to reach out and work with Dr. Dean, he would love to hear from you and all of his contact information is at the show notes. And then also, if you are interested in having any specific questions answered, please email me, melissa at oakcreekwellness.com, or you can contact me through the website, Addiction Support Podcast, or comment in the show notes if you're okay with being open and um, public about it. But Dr. Dean wanted me to make sure and reiterate any questions that are sent over. We will honor your privacy. We won't be sharing names or any specifics. We'll just be going through and asking the questions and having him answer them. So if that's something that you would like to hear your question being answered, please contact us and let us know what your question is. Anyway, without any further ado, you hear us chuckling a little bit. I had, we were doing a video call and I had my coffee mug and it looked like it was huge from his angle. So that's what we're laughing about. So please enjoy this episode. I hope that you get a lot out of it. All right. Well, so today we're going to jump in what is emotion or we're going to answer the question, what is emotional sobriety, which yes, I'm hopefully. excited about. Good. What is emotional sobriety? Well, it's a, I would say, a very misunderstood concept by, by most people. It, if I had to boil it down to kind of a simple, um, almost a one-liner, I would say it's the ability to have a healthy relationship with your emotions. It's the ability to be in touch with them, to be aware of them, to be able to let yourself feel them, uh, to, let's say, interpret them. In other words, uh, emotions are information. A lot of people say emotions aren't facts. Well, they are a kind of fact. They're, they're a fact about something that's going on inside of you. And so it's the ability to interpret what 
that is and to then act upon that in a healthy way and then to let it go. It is not being uh, whiplashed back and forth by your emotions and being on an emotional roller coaster. So would you say that's the opposite of emotional sobriety, being on that roller coaster? Um, if you live there, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, sometimes we can't help it. I don't want to set up some kind of perfectionistic nirvana for people, but in, in general, I would have to say it's emotional maturity. Yeah, I would... Um... I'm going to be a little bit more transparent. So I know that there's been periods in my life in the past where I've lived in a very victim, martyr, woe is me kind of place. And I have tendencies at times to slip back into that. And I catch myself. And as I'm going through that process, I really look at like, okay, how much of this is real? How much of this is my thinking that I've gotten back into the habit of? And there's an element of it that feels good like that nastiness kind of feels is that fair to say for most people or have you experienced I don't I don't don't know when you say good in in what way it's almost like I've gotten like maybe addicted to the word like craving that feeling that spark that energy whatever it is that um I'm trying to say here it's almost like an uh uh it's got to be a chemical release is it drama? Oh, I'm sure. Yes. Yes, I've done it, a lot of work on not being addicted to the drama. Is it related to some kind of excitement or stimulation? I mean, probably. I wouldn't say it's in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely in a negative way, but almost like, oh, if we can create this fight and then after the fight, I know that I'm loved because everything calms back down. I've, I've definitely lived there at times in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe probably like what we were talking about in earlier podcasts, probably avoidance, you know, it's easier to get, it's been easier for me to get stuck in some of those thought patterns than it has to actually take the action to make things mm-hmm. better. Yeah. Well, it is taking responsibility for your feelings um, and not placing the blame on other people for them. That's a good one. Absolutely. Let's, let's talk through that a little bit because I have a feeling that some of the people listening right now may do that and not even know that they do that. So what are some examples that you can think of where somebody's not taking care, taking responsibility of their... And, and let's talk about the difference between saying, oh, this is all my fault versus Mm -hmm. taking responsibility of their feelings. That's a big one, I think. Well, this is kind of big, what I'm about to say. In general, uh, the idea that other people, quote-unquote, cause me or you or to feel a certain way is erroneous. You or me are the source of our feelings. Other people do stuff, and our responses or reactions to that is the source of our emotions. For instance, this is, I just, I'm making this up right at the moment, but if I'm walking down the streets of New York City and 
a crazy person comes up to me and starts yelling at me that I'm some kind of, you know, idiot or loser, I go, okay, mm -hmm, and I walk on. If my wife does that very often, I get all upset and mad. What's the difference? Not them, it's no. me. Yep, and your feelings towards her and where she's at in your life. and mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. The other person did not cause it. I did. That, that's kind of tough to swallow. I, I don't. Nobody's absolutely perfect at any of this, by the way. But it's something we grow with over time. A practice. Absolutely. And I found that I, I'll get to a certain point where I feel like, oh, well, you know, I've mastered that, you know, with air quotes, and then all of a sudden, life will throw me a. A challenge to say, you know, have you really? Let's take it to the next level. <laughs> yes. Ma mastery is not part of this. No. <laughs> no, but ego does creep in from time to time, I will admit. Yes. All right. So it's a oh go ahead. Let me just add a few things. Part I want to break some of that down if it's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um some of that is the ability to, first of all, many people in recovery are not in tune with their feelings at all. They've dis, what's called dissociated from their feelings, uh, which was a, a defensive strategy learned as a survival mechanism as a child. And it, it kind of amounts to a divorce from your feelings, living up up in your head and not feeling your body or your feelings and a good chunk of recovery is reconnecting with the head the head and the heart establishing a new connection between them that was broken in our childhoods when we grew up with dysfunction and, and abuse and another part of that then is learning to separate out the different emotions and and name them. The I remember going through that years ago. I was working with a coach and she gave me a whole, like I think two sheets full of emotions. And I had no idea that there was anything other than maybe like happy, sad, and bored. And angry. Yes. You know, <laughs> I was like, what do you mean all these others? Yeah, I have something called the feel wheel. And it's, it's a wheel with all these slots and there's all these names of emotions. And I don't know how many there are, but it's probably something like 40 different shades of emotion. And it's a very good tool for going around and saying, what, what is it that I'm feeling and identifying those? And it's important because our feelings, they're there for a reason. They're not some kind of defective holdover from evolution or something, which some people tend to think they are, they're, they're information about what is going on. If, for instance, if I'm angry with somebody, I need to look at it, but a lot of times that's because somebody, that person may have stepped on a boundary right. or crossed a right. boundary. So it's information I need to look at so that I can take appropriate action. 
All right, let's try this. Okay, again. you were talking about your something about your brother. Yeah, so he um, has expressed to me that he wants help and he wants to know that he can go to rehab once he gets out of jail. And I told him I'd absolutely help facilitate that if that's something he mm -hmm. wants to do. And we talk maybe about once a week. And um, I should probably get him a therapist because I'm not a licensed therapist. However, one of the things that we were talking about in our last conversation was he doesn't remember anything negative or anything sad about his childhood. Yeah. And, you know, my other brothers and I find that odd because we kind of look at the things that he experienced and say, wow, he probably had it the worst out of all mm -hmm. of us. And he doesn't even remember that. And, and when you just said that about a disassociation, that almost, that does seem like what's going mm -hmm. on there. So I'm wondering for him and for the other people that are listening that are experiencing that, how would they reconnect their head and their heart? Let me, you said, I need to address this first in the context of your brother and okay. people that are like him. What, what I, you haven't said this, but what I hear you saying is that in some way, shape or form, your brother was what I would call traumatized. I believe so, yes. And it's not unusual for people with significant trauma to be in the shape that he's in. That is to say, not to have any awareness or memories and that's there, this is going to sound odd, that for now, that's there for a reason. It's protecting him. I, for people, let's, were people with less severe trauma or just plain old dysfunction where they weren't, say, severely abused physically or sexually, uh, the ability to reconnect with our feelings is less problematic because there's less um, loaded material to come up. But if somebody has been severely traumatized, that material is potentially volcanic. And trying to rush the connection might be actually a, a very bad idea for that person. And it might be a better idea to go slowly, to start to reconnect with their feelings today, not old feelings, but, you know, what am I feeling today? And am I happy? Am I sad? Am I mad? And the feel wheel actually can help people with that quite a bit. So can talking with a support person who is able to hear what you're saying and sort of draw out the implications in terms of feelings and other kinds of things that are going on. Writing, I, I like writing and I tend to recommend it a lot, um, especially if you don't edit yourself. If you don't edit yourself and just let it flow, the unconscious will speak. And that's where all this stuff resides, is in the unconscious. And one can then reflect on it 
and be able to make make sense of it. So sometimes I think prayer and meditation can help because my own belief is that you're facilitating an inner connection with yourself and that higher part of yourself and that that can only help. Right. And I think meditation helps you listen to yourself. Yes, it does. Absolutely. And it if you cultivate a type of meditation where you are just letting the thoughts and feelings come up but not attaching to them, you can begin to cultivate what I call an observer mind, which is part of reattaching or reconnecting at least with being able to communicate with your inner being because that's what's coming up in meditation is your inner that the the voices the chat yeah. the chatter i like that that's good so um i'm going to jump around a little bit and if you want me to go somewhere else you let just me for, know. go but ahead go next, ahead with your question i'll see if it's what I want. if we're in alignment <laughs> well my next one was just you know we were talking about how people don't make us feel anything we're in charge or we are the ones that get to say how we feel whether or not we are aware of that or in control of that's another mm -hmm. question but what advice do you have for someone who might just be starting to realize it's like okay i'm in control or i'm the one that gets to say how i feel but you know sometimes it's hard not to react absolutely or, you know, what and i'm not sure the word control is right it's not the I right would, one. Because that implies the ability to control your emotions. I think uh, responsibility is a better, you know, stimulus response. There are feelings are stimulated by things that happen. And initially, in fact, maybe forever, I'm not really sure. It seems as though they, that our feelings just have a life of their own. That doesn't mean we're not responsible for them. They, they come from us. The question is, where are they coming from? Okay. Are they coming from something that's happening right here and right now? Or are they really attached to something that happened a long, long time ago? In, for instance, in the ACOA circles, adult children, of alcoholics, there's a saying which I always loved, which goes like this: "If it's hysterical, it's historical." Ooh, that's good. If it's hysterical, it's historical. Yes, that's, that's interesting. Means if my feelings are proportionate to what's going on here and now, then they're probably connected to what's going on here and now. But if they are not, if they're way overblown, or if some small event triggers a rage or uh, things along that, those lines, what that's telling us is that event is touching on some wound somewhere, and it's kicking up a lot of really old and powerful feelings. Yeah, 
And then when it gets dangerous, I think, is when you have two people living in that historical place and they aren't recognizing it and then they blame the other person for what's what they're experiencing right yes. then. And that happens all the time. I would, like you said earlier, this isn't about being perfect. And mm -hmm. I think it's really good for people or more effective for people to realize this so that we can have more loving and deep and connected relationships mm -hmm. instead of just blaming or being hurt all the time. That's interesting. Yes. So then I'm guessing that if something's coming up that's a pattern or even if it's not and you're feeling hysterical around it then you would go back and do some of the things like we talked about already like looking at the feel wheel and talking to a support person and writing and just what uncovering what that historical event might have been and recreating yes, that story absolutely. around it yes it's it's an entry point yes it's telling us that there's some powerful unresolved emotion there that we need to look at. Yeah. And I'm wondering if somebody's not quite ready to look at it, would you recommend that they just start a journal where they just list out certain events or certain things where they got hysterical and then at some point if they feel like talking to someone about it, they can start with that or is that a sure. yeah. safe place yeah. to start? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would probably be a good place to start, actually. Tell us what's on the other side of all of this. Once somebody goes through and they either start or they feel like they've processed some of this, what's possible? Well, let me, before I go there, um, I wanted to, if, if, if it's okay with you, talk about a few things that have been on my mind for some time about what emotional sobriety is okay. not and it these are sort of my observations from being in recovery for uh, you know a very long time especially in the rooms dedicated to recovering from a sub substance abuse i i'm not sure where it comes from i think because of the phrase in the literature that recovery means being happy, joyous, and free, there is kind of a belief floating around the rooms that the goal of recovery, of sobriety, is to attain some kind of permanent state of happiness, um, nirvana, all the time. And that if you're feeling lot, lots of painful emotions about something, the, in some way, you're failing your program. That's complete nonsense. That uh, emotional sobriety is not an escape from being human. That's good. I'm going to write that down. Say that one more time. Emotional sobriety is not an escape from being human. In fact, and maybe some people aren't really going to like this, it actually makes us more deeply human. We're more deeply connected to our inner self so that we actually start feeling the world more acutely. We feel abuse. We feel compassion. We feel for other people. The events of the world can affect us deeply. It's the opposite of being cut off. 
emotionally cut off. And the idea that recovery is something close to nirvana, and again, a lot of people, some people won't like this, is actually reflective of what I call the addiction process. It's a belief that that we can feel good all the time. Isn't that the goal of addiction? Absolutely. And it's not realistic. You're right. It's not. Yeah. To be human is to feel all of it. It is. It's, it's to become deeply connected with the world, not apart from it, not above it. And in another, some of the things I've seen people do are that I think that look really, really good on the outside, but I think are actually ways to get high in recovery without using a, a substance is something I, that's called, not just me, there's a, actually a book about this. It's called Spiritual Bypass. Spiritual Bypass. Do you know who wrote it? Not I'll off the top of my head, but all you have to do is go on Amazon and type those words in and you'll okay. find it. And it's using spiritual practices like meditation, for instance, as a way to escape our feelings. Interesting. Yeah. And that's not the goal at all. No, not, no, no. So there's a way, it's interesting that there's a way to use meditation to connect and to feel, and then there's also a way to use it to avoid. Yes, I call it bliss out, blissing out, which becomes another addiction. There's also, I've seen people that have 20 and 30 sponsees, spon, you know, sponsor-sponsee relationship, and that looks really good on your quote-unquote AA resume or your recovery resume. But actually what that person is doing is staying compulsively active so they don't have to slow down and feel what's going on. Is that on. all at, a, at one time or is that back-to-back? -back? At oh, one wow. time. Okay. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know people that are com compulsively doing 12-step work and... It, it does look good. I mean, it looks good. But the, the issue there is the word compulsive. That's what makes it a problem. It's a compulsion. They, they can't stop. Yeah. So what's the difference? And please forgive me because I've, I haven't been to any 12-step meetings, so I don't fully understand all of it. Mm -hmm. But I have people sure. who I love dearly who are involved, and I know that by them being involved, that helps them stay sober. Absolutely, so yes. Is there, is there an element or a balance to that? Like, to some extent, it can be healthy, and then there's yes. another extent where it can be just unhealthy? The key word is balance, yes. Um, I, you know, helping others is an integral part of recovery. And being human. It, I mean, it, it, And being human, yeah. yeah. Giving back, passing it along, helping other people. It is um, a very, very healthy behavior when it's in proportion. There's a saying I used to hear years ago. I, I don't hear it so much anymore, but I used to hear it a fair amount, and that is that um, recovery is a bridge back to life, mm. but it's not life itself. There's such a thing as hiding out in recovery, is that, are those the type of people that you like to work with or you specialize in? People that have been in recovery for a while and now they want to live life? They tend, yes, yes. 
not exclusively, but, but okay. I work with codependents who are not addicted to a substance, and I work with people who are addicted but have reached a point where they want something new and better, and a lot of times they may be um, coming into a new bottom in recovery, which I believe we're talking about in another session or yep. two about new new bottoms. So I really won't talk about that right now, but yeah. it, it is a part of recovery uh, for, for many, many people. And um, it's let's say it's a fertile time for new as bringing in new aspects of life and recovering in new and deeper ways. Nice. Yeah, I think we're going over that next week, so it should be in the next episode. Do you have anything else that you would say that um, I was making a bunch of notes? I'm going back over them. I'm sorry. Anything else that you would say that this is not? We were talking about what it was not. There probably is, but I, I can't think all of right, them right now. All right, if it now. comes up, so, let me know. I'll, write, I'll make a note of it. I want to include all that in yeah. the notes for us. You were asking me about the the other oh, side. Yeah, thank you. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, like why would some of this is very painful and frightening for people, especially if they have never done any of this work before. So what's possible? Why would they want to do this? Healthy relationships. If you don't do this work, I can just say flat out, you're just not going to have healthy relationships because healthy relationships or unhealthy relationships are a result of unresolved trauma, which is, which is the source of the hysterical piece that I was talking about and what I call being an emotional whiplash or in the running in the roller coaster all the time. It's the source of drama. It's the source of dysfunction. So the ability to have healthy, balanced, full, intimate relationships is absolutely dependent on, on this work. So is the ability to engage in life in a healthy, balanced way. The ability to um, have a good job, but not be addicted to, to that job, the ability to have a full life that's not um, narrow cast into one, one small zone, but having um, a number of relationships, having hobbies, having things that you do. It's having a full rounded life, basically. Something that was coming up as you were speaking is I've heard people say, oh, well, you know, I'm just not it's not in the cards for me to have a relationship or it's not in the car. You know, I, I was, I'm just unlucky in love and things like that. And what I'm hearing you say is that's not the case. It's just, there's some unresolved trauma or issues or things that need to be addressed. And then you absolutely can be in a place where you can have a healthy relationship. Yes. Yeah. People that say they're unlucky in love, uh, they're unlucky because they keep choosing the same person. And they keep choosing the same person over and over because they haven't dealt with the trauma and the dysfunction in their childhood. So they're attracted to someone who can help them reenact what happened to them as a child. Just a couple of last thoughts. The, the original program literature um, is 
based on a, a spiritual program. And um, Bill Wilson, Bill W., in 1958, wrote an article called Emotional Sobriety, The Next Frontier. Uh, and he, he, must, he had, a, what, about 23 years of recovery at that point. And he, in the first couple of paragraphs, he basically comes out and admits that he himself is subject to these emotional whiplashes. And not just him, but many what he calls old, oldsters or old timers are. And the implication is that this emotional sobriety is the next frontier which is true, and it's good that he wrote that article. I do have a concern about it because uh, the solution that he puts out there is what he calls still more spiritual development. The issue I have with that is if it was spiritual development, wouldn't you already be there? You've been practicing it for 23 years now. AA was founded on the belief system, and it's deeply ingrained that all of our problems are spiritual at root. And so solving all of our problems is essentially a spiritual problem. And I strongly differ with that. If that were true, wouldn't these people not be whiplash because they've been practicing for 23? How long does it take? How many more years? That You have to deal, unfortunately, with your Emotion. If you want emotional sobriety, you have to start dealing with your emotions. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You have to become healthy emotionally. That makes a whole lot of sense. Which, and I would agree with you. I think that we're all spiritual beings at core. And something you had said in one of our last episodes, something along the lines of, what did your parents, what did your face look like before your parents were born? which stuck mm -hmm. with me. And so when you think about it from that place, like maybe it's more about remembering going back to that place. But if you don't do the work on an emotional level, then that block's going to be there. You're not going to be able to go back and reconnect and you won't. That, that's correct. That's yeah. correct. The, these emotional wounds are kind of a surround to that inner being. And the only way in is through. Yeah. The other thing that I want to say is sometimes I think that we don't want to deal with certain aspects of our emotions because we don't want to admit or acknowledge that that we have either that within us or capable or that happened. And every one of us that's a human being has that dark side. Maybe it's not the same, but it's all we all have that side to us where we don't want people to know about it or we don't, you know, and yeah. that's okay. It is okay. It, that brings up a good point that I, I forgot about our culture, American culture, for some reason equates f f uh, feelings with weakness. Oh, yes. Especially for men. We, yeah. That's pure nonsense. Let me tell you, it takes tremendous strength to feel those feelings if you've been traumatized. It takes a courageous, strong individual to reclaim their childhood. There's nothing wrong with feelings. I, 
the idea that God gave us feelings and that we're not supposed to feel them because they're weak makes no sense to me at all. And some of the most powerful, truly powerful people in the world that are able to do things are connected to their feelings. I think of Oprah. I think she's an amazing inspiration for me. Mm -hmm. And she's connected to her feelings. Otherwise, she wouldn't be able to do what she's yeah. been able to do. Yeah, absolutely. That comes from that. Yeah. I think that compassion comes from the ability to connect with yourself. And your, you can't have compassion for somebody else if you don't have it for yourself. And compassion comes from, at root, feeling. So what advice would you have for somebody that's, you know, coming from the other side? Maybe you have somebody that's very compassionate and they love somebody that's dealing with addiction right now. Is there anything that they should do or can do to A, help themselves, and then B, help that other person start to feel? Are there well, the best way to help the other person is to help yourself so that you're not enmeshed with that person and trying to control them and run their life. So that very often means getting yourself into Al-Anon or Codependents Anonymous or perhaps uh, adult children of alcoholics. Um, calling you. Because, or yes, or, or yes, because the hard truth is that you can't fix somebody who's not in recovery. You just can't. You can love them, but loving them does not mean enabling them. Enabling them means taking care of them, like if they get in jail, you know, continually bailing them out, things like that. So it's, it's the ability to love with detachment. And I had somebody email me a couple weeks ago. I believe it was a woman, but they didn't specify. And one of the questions that they had was that it's, it's all well, fine, and good if, it's, if you're talking about somebody that is like your child or sibling or something, but what about when you're married to them? More difficult, same problem though. And same advice. Yes, yeah. Doesn't change. Doesn't change the underlying problem. Yeah. Um, the, the the big question, which you each person has to answer for themselves, and absolutely nobody can tell you what to do, is whether to stay with that person. Or, or to separate from them. Um, I would never tell somebody what to do in that domain. All I can say is work on yourself and pray for the other person. Okay, I know that was a lot. It was a lot for me, um, but I hope that you did get some healing from just listening to that episode and doing the work on yourself as you're going through it. And I do want to remind you, come on back to the show notes, addictionsupportpodcast.com forward slash episode 41 if you're interested in any of the contact information or see what we had to share there. And also make sure if you have a question that you'd like Dr. Dean to answer, please reach out and contact us and let us know that. And once again, we will honor your privacy and your anonymity around that. So until next week, I see you surrounded with light and love and I love you. Thank you for listening to the Addiction Support Podcast. 
addiction support for family and friends from people who've been there. www.addictionsupportpodcast.com.